Let's turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And verse 1. Come now, you rich, and weep, and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers you mowed, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived in luxury. You lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. God is speaking to his church and he's talking about the state of affairs in the world but also in the church. How do we live in this world? There are two worlds we live in. One is the world in which we live in that we're used to, the external. The other is the internal world. Within ourselves, there's a world. Both are navigated spiritually, successfully, by following the path that God has laid before us. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Paul says, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, our redemption. God coming back is nearer than we first believed, when we first believed. Time is passing. He has a calendar. You also be patient. That means endure. Keep trusting. Establish your hearts. Don't let it get unsettled. Believe. Jesus is coming because he is. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. In light of that, do not grumble against one another. Brethren, lest you be condemned. Don't grumble against one another. Don't talk against one another. Especially backbiting. Lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Because as I mentioned at the outset of this evening's meeting, that we may be thinking, I have many Mondays left in this year. Yet we see God's calendar continues. The judge is at the door. My brethren, take, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. 
This is assuming that the people to whom James is speaking by the Spirit of God, to whom he gives this exhortation from verse 7, are not part of verses 1 to 5 or 1 to 6. When we seek the Lord, when we are seeking his way, seeking to obey him and please him and to change, to become all that he meant for us to become. We're on that path and we're not letting anything stop us. Some people have great joy in saying, I'm not going to let my husband stop me from seeking God. I'm not going to let that woman stop me from seeking God. Nobody can stop me from seeking God. There's rather a ring of arrogance sometimes in that. When all the while they're stopping themselves from seeking God. How? By pretending. God says, don't grumble. They grumble. But they worship God with the same lips. My brethren, blessing and cursing should not come from the same mouth. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. People get into all kinds of conversation and self-defense mechanisms. They begin to drag other people into the mix of when they try to defend themselves and commit a host of crimes, which could include slander and even lies. Why? To make myself look good. Always complaining and murmuring about other people. It's always the other guy, the other person that's the reason for my misery. God said, you can endure. You can endure no matter what's happening. Because God will give you the grace to endure the trial. Remember Job? He stayed righteous, faithful. You see what happened at the end? He was blessed twice as much. We know from the story of Job, the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Do the right thing. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If you have your Bibles, James 5, 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. There are many people who say, I'm praying for you. I'm always praying for you. You should pray. Prayer is good. I'd like you to mark beside that verse in James chapter 5, Psalm 66, 18. Put that next to it as a reference to remind us and everyone we speak to what kind of prayer God hears. It does not hear every prayer. Someone please read Psalm 66, 18 for us. Psalm 66, 18, NIV version. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Amen. Amen. That's the kind of prayer that God hears. The next verse says, but certainly God has heard me. In other words, the opposite of that, if I did not cherish sin, there's no iniquity in my heart, then the opposite is true. The Lord will hear. But certainly God has heard me. Look at the the confidence here. He has attended to the voice of my prayer, meaning I do not cherish sin. Sin has no place in my heart. Hallelujah. How many people read this back to back, 1819, and just gloss over and think, well, I'm okay, because look, the word says, God has heard me. No. 
only if you meet the condition. The writer of the Psalms can say that because he's, he's met the condition. We need to be real with God. Not gloss over different scriptures and take it out of context or mix it together and say, well, the end of the chapter says blessing, so that's what I'm going to end with. You can, I can, hallelujah, if I meet the conditions, if there's repentance. So, if there's iniquity in the heart, what is the right kind of prayer? Lord, help me to remove this. That's the prayer God will hear. But not the other prayers. Because we must get first things right first. The book of James has these wonderful promises and we'll go on to talk about faith as it begun in chapter 1. Is anyone among you suffering? Always know, Christian, whether you speak to your family, your friends, your neighbors, colleagues, other Christians, when you say it's good to pray, prayer has become a ritual. It's become a cure-all. doesn't matter how you pray, what you pray. As long as you pray to Jesus, The prayer of the righteous is heard. The only prayer God will hear from the wicked is a prayer. Really, it's a confession. There's no relationship there, you see. There's no fellowship. It's a cry for mercy. If you can call that prayer, that's the only prayer. But prayer speaks of communion. There's a fellowship. More often than not, in the scriptures. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Can you imagine somebody who's happy while they have sin in their hearts? And tell them, let's worship, let's sing psalms. God says, get away from my altar. You love sin and you want to worship me? No. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Those elders better be pure. There are people baptizing people who are making their candidates for baptism a twofold son or daughter of hell than they are. Why? Because it's hypocrisy. Baptism, communion, all these things or a stench in God's nostrils, no matter how much joy seems to be there, if the people are not holy and walking with God. A lot of celebration. Don't you be part of it, because you'll be a liar with the rest. Have a standard. Fear God and love God. Stick with the truth, because chameleons don't live long when the sun comes up. It's a spiritual truth. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. What God wouldn't do? What is there that God will not do for his child, for his children who gather together in holiness and sobriety, seeking God, believing him, trusting him? God will move heaven and earth for us. Hallelujah. But what's the purpose of fasting and prayer? Was there any fasting that was simultaneous with feasting? Any fasting where people are called to come be cheerful and jump and do cartwheels and worship God? No, it's connected with mourning. Why? 
Why does a Christian have to fast anyway, somebody says. I thought Jesus paid it all and we're free. Why do we have to have this? Because the Lord fasted. His disciples fasted. Furthermore, he said, when the bridegroom was taken away, then the children will fast. We're longing for God's return. And fasting is a longing for us to be ready for him when he comes. It's a healthy part of a Christian's life to have regular fasting. To put down that which seemed to be so pressing and urgent to feed our bodies, to seek God for our spiritual well-being. Is anyone among you sick? The chameleon that doesn't exist, doesn't survive, the sun, it's when the sun of righteousness arises, the one who exposes and tears off the masks. I want to ask this question. Is there anyone wearing a mask today on the call? Anyone? It's nice to see masks ripped off of other people. When you look in the mirror of God's word, do you see a mask? Fasting is here for that purpose. Rip the mask off. Be real with God. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith. Is there any, could there be any faith without holiness? No. Without genuine love for God? No. All these are important. They're connected to real faith. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, within this, just like in 1 Corinthians 5, when that man had his father's wife, it's stated explicitly. Apparently his stepmother. He was engaging in immorality. Unthinkable. The Apostle Paul says, I've judged him already in my spirit. I'm not there, but I've judged him in my spirit. You also separate yourself. Deliver him up to Satan so that his body may be destroyed and his soul be saved, which implies there's got to be repentance. There's no automatic. As people come with the last rites and so-called prayers from so-called priests who are from hell to try to give some kind of false assurance and then say, the more money you give when you're Coin on my offering plate rings the soul of your loved one from Purgatory Springs. What a satanic, bloodthirsty, ravening, whitewashed tomb that person is. To come and buy and sell indulgences. Buy souls, that is. The darkness. To come and administer prayer and last rites. Satan has the laugh all the way to hell, bringing them down. No, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Somewhere in there, there's repentance. Because nobody gets to heaven without repenting. No one. John the Baptist and Jesus preached the same thing. So did Paul. Every true preacher of Christ will not give nice sayings and how we can be one and love. Everybody likes the positive spin, don't they? Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't cater to that. The positive only comes after the negative, always. Go weep, James opens up in chapter 5. Howl, those people who are trusting in your riches, who are arrogant and who are partial, 
You got a lot of problems within you, grumbling and grudging. God says, take that away. Break down before me. Don't try to jump for joy. Worship. Break down. Take away the things that still remain. Then come. And I will answer you. I'll raise you up. I'll bless you. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. I'm praying for you. I'll pray for you. Your prayers don't mean anything if you're not walking with God. You can have 500 people praying. Not one of them will reach God's ears if there's pretension. But when one person prays, the effectual, fervent prayer of singular, a righteous man avails much. Kings and queens were terrified at people, men and women, who single-handedly preached by the Holy Spirit against the sins of their kingdoms. They had the power to kill them on the spot. This seemingly peasant-looking person coming with the power of God, shaking kingdoms. Not for themselves to be some hero. They were burning with the word of God and the anger of God against the blasphemies against God. Come what may. They were there to do the will of God. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You can only pray if you're righteous, be heard by God. It's very clear in the scriptures. We have people that we've heard of that are leading prayer meetings in other churches. They visited our church, actually. Leading prayer meetings while drinking, while smoking. Leading churches. Pretending about revival and these things. We have a hard time sticking around this church. No wonder. The mask is torn off. So it will be for everyone. Who still insists, I don't care what the pastor says, I have my little mask. God will take it off. But it's good to judge ourselves before that and say, Lord, nothing fake in my life anymore. I want my prayer to be fervent, energized, boiling with zeal, effective, because my heart is right with my God. And if it's not right, God says, come get you a new heart. Get a new heart. I will give you the grace. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Now, he didn't do it by himself. God gave him that prayer. When we pray according to the will of God, miracles happen. But he did his part. He believed what God said. And he began to pray. No rain. Imagine that. No rain in the United States of America for three years and six months. What would happen? No rain in India for three years and six months. No rain in the Middle East, Middle Eastern countries. Three years and six months. 
No rain in Canada for three years. Who said that? This prophet? What does he know? We always have rain. It didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain at his word, and the earth produced its fruit. God could trust Elijah because he was righteous. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, I feel like the big city is calling me back. I'm able to manage as a white serpent. I'm able to manage. Nobody knows. By and by, I'm drifting away, but nobody knows. God will show the person who's really walking with God. The pastors know they're walking with God. The privilege is to cry out one more time and to say, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns them back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Maybe you left somebody behind in Texas. Maybe you have somebody in the church. Maybe it's your roommate, your neighbor. Maybe it's someone who's living in another place. It's very clear that they are lukewarm. They don't want the whole truth. It makes them feel uncomfortable. A lot of fault finding with the pure truth of God's word. God says, if you're able to bring that person, who? A brother or sister. A real born again, truly born again person who you can see they don't want the whole truth. They're comfortable with complacency and co-mingling with comrades who were caught in corrupting God's word. It's evident. By degrees, they are wandering from the truth. If someone, a brother, turns that person back, God says, let that person know. Whoever turns that sinner, know this, this brother or sister is now a sinner. From the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Does that mean that person is never going to die physically? Obviously not. It's talking about hell. It's another text here. You can just mark in your Bible as I close. Pastor was going to speak within a couple of minutes now. But it's very important to note this. In these two verses, we see a born-again person. A person in the church. No indication that they never knew the Lord. No. They have left the way of truth. You see, they wandered away. You can't wander away from the truth if you're never part of the truth. The person is apostatizing by degrees. And you go and tell them, this is not the way. Don't follow those people who call themselves Christians. They do what they want. And they sing God's praises. No, 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 no. you got to be holy. You cannot enter heaven without being holy. Here, come back. Come back to the truth. Remember, one with God is a majority. Don't look for the crowds and the lights. Don't look for the feel-good moments. Come to the truth where God can save you. 
they have a brother's sister, truly born again, began or began to turn away, headed toward death, which is spiritual death, which is hell. But if you can recover them, ah, you'll be able to save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Hallelujah. What a thrill to be an ambassador for God. But first, I have to be walking the path. And it's my privilege to cast out the net, not for the unconverted, but for the backsliders first in the house of God. Because judgment must begin at the house of God first. And mercy to God's children first. Hallelujah. May the Lord cause the word to lodge permanently in our hearts. To know exactly what we're about. To be precise in what our mission is every day. To keep ourselves in the holy doctrine. Adorn ourselves. Beautify ourselves with the word of God in keeping everything he says. What a freedom. And then be able to show that freedom to others by cleaving to the truth and telling them the truth as it is. Not fearing what they'll say and whether they'll stay or go. Who cares about what they think about me? But it matters all the more what they think about God because it's going to affect their eternity. His word. Blessed be God's name. I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Oh Lord, I thank you, Lord, for these verses. I pray that all of us would mark our Bibles and take heed, Lord, not to take these things as repeated nice words, but be students of the scripture and be keen on watching ourselves and taking the word, letting the word do its work. And I thank you, Lord. Oh, God, purge your church, I pray. Lord God, purge your church, Father. Lord God, you rather have one or two or three people who are sincere before God, holy before God, rather than a hundred people or two hundred or two thousand or five million who are merely giving lip service, refusing to surrender all areas of their lives to God. You want no hypocrites in Zion. I thank you, God, for purging us. Oh, I thank you. We were hypocrites, many of us. But you've recovered us. No more to wonder. Blessed be your holy name, Father. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. Praise be to God.